This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we're joined with Connor Sherline, who is one of the co-founders of Co-op Commerce. And Co-op Commerce is a platform that provides a new way for modern brands to work together. We're excited to have Connor on the podcast over here. He's going to be talking a lot more about what exactly that means, new brands working to or a new way for modern brands to work together. And we're going to be discussing brand partnerships, brand collaboration, all of that good stuff. Anyways, Connor, we're super excited to have you on the podcast over here. If you want to give the audience a quick little intro about yourself and a little bit about your background before we jump into some stuff. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm Connor. Uh, as Jay mentioned, I'm the CEO of Co-op Commerce, which is a new way for brand partners to work together. So currently, we have over 300 partners in varying sizes that have all decided that growing together is in their best interest. So rather than relying on solely driving acquisition for themselves, they're materializing brand partnerships and making it a new way to drive acquisition costs down by partnering together. So I started the company in in January of this year. And since then, we have been building our network and growing almost 100% month over month, bringing on new brand partners that believe they're better together. Yeah, for sure. That's that's really awesome. And you, I know you guys have been growing a lot. We've been exchanging emails for, for a little while. And it's cool to see you guys to grow and just work with more brands as well. So I know we're going to be talking about brand partnerships, brand collaboration. So why don't we just go ahead and kind of jump into it. So one question I have over here for you is, you know, I think we're all aware of doing brand partnerships and brand collaboration. A lot of people talk about it. It's a good way for especially brands that are at a smaller stage to be able to work with similar brands and kind of just help promote each other up. So I'm really curious to learn from you, like, where do you think brand promotions kind of fit in into your marketing strategy? Is it more of a top of the funnel kind of thing, middle of the funnel or bottom of the funnel marketing effort? I think that's a really good question. From my perspective, when I think about brand partnership and brands that are doing it or doing it well, they think about it not as an aside or as a nice thing to do, but they they put a lot of thought into building authentic relationships with partner brands. So a good example is Nick Sharma just did Judy for Your Booty, which was Judy and Poopery, which are two very, very different brands. Judy is a, a kit for emergencies and Poopery is a toilet paper, I believe, or a toilet, like toilet related brand. And that partnership was really authentic. They thought about their audience. They thought about like a really nice way to, to think about exchanging across their audiences and their traffic. So for me, I think authenticity is what matters more than necessarily like where the brand partnership is happening. That being said, I would say that there's like a lot of the tools of today for brand partnership really are more oriented towards like top of funnel or mid funnel. Like you exchange assets you put it like in a newsletter or to like an audience and you hope that 
when you reach that broad audience that they're interested in converting on that product. I think with technology and the way that things are moving, especially with co-op and some of the things that we're building, but as well as outside of co-op, it's going to become almost like it's partnerships, partner marketing, but you almost don't even realize that it's partner marketing because these brands are able to so seamlessly sell other brands' products directly through their storefront. So a good example of this that I saw recently was Caraway was selling Brightland for any order over $400. From Caraway, they were sending out a free a free bottle of Brightland olive oil. And for every olive oil purchase on Brightland, they were giving away a $25 gift card to Caraway. And to me, like that's one step closer to a much more integrated type of partnership where it's not campaign focused, like even though it's happening in a period of time, but it's very integrated into the user experience realizing that 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 customer needs more than one thing and how do you make that recommendation delightful and integrated and seamless without friction. So previously, I would say the best way to do partnerships would be upper funnel, exchanging assets, but that's changing rapidly. I find that really interesting as well, the way that it's changing, because like you said, it is leaning a little bit more into bottom of the funnel. And that's honestly what what is the most important thing for brands because you know they want to be able to to drive those sales and things like that which i think is really cool and so you know talking about having it as a bottom of the funnel action what do you think people are like looking for in that sense like why do you think we've come to this kind of converging point where we are where instead of just looking at top of the funnel there is that opportunity for the bottom of the funnel yeah i mean i think that one thing is is it just was there's a lot of it was really hard to do it previously. So it wasn't that there wasn't a way that brands wanted to partner together in this this way. It just was more challenging. But with Shopify and some of the APIs that have become available, it's actually not it's not too hard for a brand to sell another brand's products. So in and from doing so, not necessarily holding that supply like in their warehouse and sending the product, but just taking the order for the product and passing it to the brand downstream. So that those APIs make it easier for individual brands to start selling other products without holding, you know, in a risk-free way where they're not holding the inventory, but if the customer's interested and might need this extra thing, they're able to sell it to them, capture commission for driving that sale, but then also make their products available in the same fashion across the network, right? Yeah, and I think that's really interesting and you know, one thing that I'm like thinking of as well is you know, you're talking about de-risking the situation, which I think any any brand or any person that's in marketing kind of just naturally, you know, you want to be able to partner people with people, but you also want to de-risk your partnership because you don't want to be the person that's driving all the sales for this company and you're not really getting anything in return over there, which can kind of be like a a really one-sided thing. And especially in, you know, something like D2C, e-commerce, that can be really accelerated because a lot of times, you know, you're giving up your either, you know, your marketing platform or some sort of space on like an email or things like that to be able to plug another brand. And if you're not really getting anything in return, it can kind of be be crazy. Yeah, no, totally. I think that that's been one of the biggest challenges is that there's this opacity or like opaqueness to to partnerships. It's that you don't really, 
you don't know what customers are on their list. You don't know how many customers they have. You don't know the quality of those customers. You don't know the AOV. You don't know the repeat value. You, you don't know all these things. So it makes it really challenging. You're, you're really going out on a limb and trusting these brands to do collaborations with without that data. So one of the things that co-op has tried to do or we're trying to do is almost be like that person or that, that intermediary that has visibility to both sides and is able to make sure that the value exchange is even rather than having the brands individually do it themselves. Like they all join the platform. We see all of those metrics that I just mentioned. And then we have established like a give to get model where you can basically show your customer and then you earn a customer to retarget to make the value exchange more even. That makes a lot of sense over there. So, you know, talking about de-risking that partnership and obviously, you know, there are a lot of tools out there that kind of provide, like you said, you know, with the Shopify API and things like that, that you can integrate other products in and try and offer some sort of partnership that's deeper down in the funnel. How do you as a brand? So I'm an, I'm a brand. I may be like decently in the market. Maybe I'm doing like uh, somewhere between one to $5 million of revenue a year. And so I partner with another brand that's also doing one to $5 million in revenue per year. How do I know that my partnership is going well? Or what are those success metrics that I should be looking out for to say like, Hey, this is a good partnership. We should continue to be partnering. Or maybe it's maybe it's not even at that stage where they start partnering up. Maybe it's before even the partnership begins and you're trying to figure out and have that conversation. So what are the things that you should be looking for in those terms to kind of push that partnership forward? Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that matters more than anything is thinking about customers, right? So what are your customers and what do they look like? We've seen this time and time again. It's been really fascinating on co-op. Brands, like even product adjacencies, like your product is this product and this product is this product. We haven't necessarily seen the highest cross-selling metrics on products alone. It's so much more psychographic. It's like this person is willing to spend this amount of money on this type of item. They're probably also willing to spend this much money. So olive oil, for instance, Brightland olive oil's AOV is, is probably between 50 to $70. It's a lot of money for olive oil. They're not cross-selling very well with other brands that have lower AOVs that are catering to an audience that doesn't want to spend that type of money. But they are cross-selling really well with other categories of brands, even pet care brands of people that are willing to spend that amount of money on specific items. So thinking about the customers and the customers that you have and what it is, like, are they premium? Are they after premium goods? Are they after utilitarian goods? There's been so many synergies just from the psychographic profiles of your customers that you should look at and think about before you you forge a partnership. And then after, like when you actually are forging a partnership, I think the best partnerships really are like a win-win on both sides. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if you are Brightland and you're selling house aperitifs, you should get commission for the sales that you drive on house. And then you should also have your products available for distribution on house and how should earn commission off of your sales, right? So that allows the partners to win in both cases. Like I'm winning because I'm selling. When I sell another brand's products, I'm making money off of those sales. And I'm winning also on the flip side because my products are added distribution to new customers on house of which I will happily pay 
a commission as well to house for driving those sales. So the best partnerships are ones that like aren't one off. They're a little bit more scientific. They're a little bit more thought out and they think a lot about the customer. For sure. And so, you know, talking about the, the AOV there, which I think is really important, like knowing what type of, you know, average order value you're having as a brand, should you be looking for, I know you kind of like maybe hinted at that, but I want to, I want to dive a little bit further into that. Should you be looking at a brand that's specifically in the same type of AOV range as you are in terms of like their customer profile? Not necessarily. It's like AOV is relative, right? So if you're, if you are at, it's more like the premium end of the segment, right? So like olive oil, $50 for olive oil is a lot of money. $50 for a pan is a, is not a lot of money. And I bet you a $50 pan like would not sell well with a $50 olive oil. A $150 pan like Caraway probably sells really well to the audience that wants the premium olive oil. So it's not really AOV, it's necessarily, it's more the psychographic profile of that audience and the type of buyer that they are, right? It's so like that buyer is a premium buyer. Clearly, if they care so much about the quality of their olive oil, they're also going to care about the quality of their cookware. So that's more what we look at more than, than just pure price points. We've seen really, really successful partnerships at different AOVs. It matters so much more about like who that customer is and the type of buying behavior they exhibit repeatedly. For sure. And so when we're talking about brands partnering up over here, I think you know, I'm kind of looking at it through the consumer lens because I'm not a founder myself or I'm not in the in the marketing space in, in B2C or D2C or, you know, CPG or any of that stuff. So as a consumer, I'm thinking, hey, I might be interested in this product, but I haven't necessarily... Like if I shop at a product that I, I know, like I love, like let's say I love Caraway. So I, I buy a pan, I buy a $150 pan from Caraway. And I get an ad for that olive oil brand. That's, that's pretty expensive. But I don't necessarily know the quality of that olive oil brand yet. So what is the best way to approach that if you're on the other side of that? So you're the brand that's, that's being kind of like pushed a little bit more. Do you lead with you know your best product regardless of whatever the the prices, like, are you leading with a product that's a little bit lower tier in price or smaller? So that way you're able to have the consumer sample that, like, how do you approach that situation? I love this question because it, what you're pointing out is the nuance of every customer and someone that buys the $395 cookware set from Caraway is also different than the customer that just buys the fry pan, which is $99, right? So there's no right answer. There's no like one, there's no one silver bullet. The way that we approach it at co-op is we think about every single one of those transactions, every transaction moment needs to be curated. And it's not possible to have a human curate every single one of those interactions. So we've built an algorithm for it. And our algorithm actually looks at the product that was bought and makes a recommendation for a product that we think would sell well with that next product. So my answer is more like in the best situations, it's not just a one size fits one. If you don't have the, if you don't have the ability to do that, I would A-B test. I would try multiple things and see what fits best, see what works best. But if you want to use co-op <laughs> and, try to, and try to see that, like we actually will look at your product catalog and optimize based off of what we think sells best with that specific transaction. And that is the best way to do it because then you actually have that individual 
person versus just you know using all of these other heuristics for making a recommendation. Definitely. And I actually want to talk about something that you brought up over there, which I think is really interesting. And it's having that, you know, first party data over there that you're getting from your own platform that you could possibly share some of that information with a partner to be able to better understand how you can fuel that partnership and offer the right recommendations. Why I think it's really interesting is because obviously, you know, we're living in a world where the way that data is controlled is constantly changing, right? Like the way that what data can be thrown into your Facebook pixel is constantly changing. And some of those things might not be around. You might not be able to, to target someone based on specific things because you know there's privacy on, on holding that, that third-party kind of data right there. So talking a little bit more on that, do you see this kind of partnership approach where it's directly on the other brand's website as the best way pushing forward? Like, I don't don't know if it's necessarily going to happen now in the present, but is that what you kind of see like versus like trying to target something off of Facebook ads where you might be able to see a better return on your, your partnership or any marketing expenses that you're doing there through this kind of partnership approach versus Facebook ads? Yeah. I mean, I think that... I think that there's, again, no one silver bullet. And I, the thing I love about marketing and working in this industry is that we all really are scientists in some ways of concocting like the right type of prescription for every brand. And every brand is so different and every brand has different needs. So I think the first solution that you talked about with Facebook ads is something that's existed and will continue to exist in some fashion for the foreseeable future. This direct store partnership stuff like hasn't actually been possible because there hasn't been someone that's bridged the gap of all of these individual stores, made those products available, made it easy for these brands to ingest those products, built all the back-end tech, all that stuff. Like that's actually not that's something that is at the frontier. We don't even actually have the data or the understanding necessarily yet to understand whether or not like that is the way that it should be done, what the consequences of that are. That being said, I think it just makes perfect sense that if you look at the fragmentation that exists within DC, you see how many hundreds of new brands there are and how many hundreds of new brands are coming about every every day, every year, and how limited the SKU sets are, like the individual products of those brands. It is actually limiting both for that brand and for that consumer. I don't want to go through five checkouts. I want to go through one checkout and I want to add all of the things from the brands that I like into one place and check out once. So from a consumer standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense. From a brand standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense to actually have that point of sale partnership. So where do you see like the next evolution of this to a sense? You know, you talked about like as a consumer, you want to be able to have those five products in one single place. And so when we're talking about like checkouts, I know the way that co-op kind of works is, you know, you get basically like some recommended products once you check out from one of the partner brands. So how do you see that integrating with the future of commerce? Do you see like an opportunity there for people to like add some of their like favorite brands or create even their own like profile and, and attach it as well and being able to to like favorite like I'm a big fan of house, I like Caraway, I like XYZ brands, suggest me some more stuff as I'm checking out or something like that, or even possibly with like marketplaces and things like that. Where do you kind of see that evolution going? I see both 
I think from a consumer, it's hard to talk about one without the other, right? It's really hard to talk about B2B without talking about direct-to-consumer and thinking about how to sell. I see both things existing. I see consumers being able to personalize their experience and, and cut through the noise in a better way than just getting served up the next Instagram ad. I think that that is really, really hard from a consumer standpoint. You see an ad, you lose it, you don't have it saved in any place. You have to go all over the internet to check out in all these different places for the brands that you do like. All of that fragmentation is something that needs to be centralized. And it's something that we are actively working on as co-op. The second thing that you mentioned is the actual brand partnership side, which is the fueling of that. In order to enable that consumer experience, you actually have to get these individual brands to work together. So we're working on moving up funnel and providing other resources outside of just post-purchase but thinking about real merchandising of other products throughout that customer experience and that customer shopping journey. Both things are really critical and they're almost like two sides of the same coin. Awesome. That's really cool over there. I'm thinking on some other topics over here, like basically on the fly as we're going. And one that comes to mind is social commerce. So obviously, you know, Facebook has made tons and tons of strides in social commerce. I think just recently that they even added like a uh, an add to cart feature on WhatsApp. So they're really pushing forward on the on the social commerce piece. How do you see that putting together with with brand partnerships? So do you see Facebook as someone who's going to try and own that space, or do you think it's something that the brands are going to want to own? Like, how do you think that fits in altogether with social commerce? I think there's an interesting there's an interesting conflict. I worked at Facebook for five years, Facebook and Instagram for five years before starting co-op. So I'm very intimately familiar with with how Facebook operates and the the types of decisions that Facebook makes and why they make them. Make no mistake that one of the primary reasons why Facebook has tried to move all of its commerce into Instagram and Facebook is because of the cookie apocalypse that is coming in 2021. Facebook relies so much on the individual data of all these brands that he, they want to take it all in-house so that they're able to track everything that's happening within commerce, within the app, and not outside of the app. What comes along with that is a giving or like a relinquishment of power from the brands themselves, right? It's like on the brand site right now, you have all these plugins that are Shopify plugins that help you drive sales, increase AOV, reviews, customization, all of this stuff that you've done. Of course, there's added friction from leaving Facebook and going onto your site, but you own that experience. You own all of those things. On Facebook, like Facebook owns all those things. Facebook notoriously has not allowed third-party tra- third tracking within its app. It doesn't allow JavaScript into its, into its tags. So the question is whether or not Facebook's trying to get into the brand partnership space. I don't think it is. I think it's trying to get into the market. It's trying to compete directly with Amazon, which is... How do we actually sell products through Facebook and be a better discovery mechanism? Partnerships are almost like the antithesis. It's like we want to stay independent. We don't want to like rely too solely on Facebook or on Instagram, on Amazon. We want to band together and actually build an ecosystem like outside of these walled gardens. So from my perspective, no, Facebook's going to try to keep cranking up its ads dollars, keep cranking up the amount of money that's spent within its platform, try to keep people within it. And these brands are, there's going to be like a very interesting conflict between brands and Facebook and Instagram over the next year or two. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as I'm kind of thinking about it. You know, Facebook trying to pull off something like this with the brand partnerships piece, I guess, doesn't really fit into their advertising revenue goals because if there is some sort of product recommendation post-purchase, that's probably something that could have been saved to to get ad dollars on and have some sort of brand spending money over there. So that that totally makes sense over there. And so talking about, you know, as we're talking about kind of like future trends that are coming up in the brand partnership space over here, I think something else that's really interesting is D2C marketplaces. I'm sure you've probably seen some of these as well. We actually had one on the podcast, the Vertical. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, nice. with that. Yeah. So they've been on our podcast as well. And so I, I think this is something that's really interesting. And where do you, do you see brand partnerships, even what you guys are doing is at co-op, something that's going to be integrated in that thing as well. And for the audience that's listening in that doesn't know, has no clue what Connor and I are talking about, a lot of these marketplaces are starting to pop up, which are basically digital Nordstrom's is the best way I would like kind of put it as some way to relate it. But do you see what you guys are doing at co-op as something that's going to integrate on that side as well? Yeah. So we launched the co-op collective two weeks ago and it's our first foray into, into a marketplace of our own. So brands that are part of our network are also now featured in our, our brand directory, which is at the co-op collective.com. And there we have, all the brands, their individual products for people to browse. We're still pushing them to the downstream direct-to-consumer brands to complete their checkout. But we have full intentions of making that shoppable in the near future as well. So I think that everyone... And the good news is that there's such a need here, such a massive market and such a need. There'll be a trillion dollars spent on customer acquisition in 2020. One trillion dollars. So there's there's enough ways to slice, and this is not a winner takes all market. And there is a supreme problem of acquisition with individual brands. So teaming up together and figuring out a way to drive acquisition costs down is something that a lot of people are going to approach and have a different spin on. So I think it's really good for the industry that this is happening more. Very cool. I'm really excited to see how it plays out as well because I'm, I'm sure. You guys are looking to see how people are going to interact with marketplaces and where the the real, which is going to be the biggest revenue driver, whether it's going to be, you know, the marketplace checkout recommendation or the checkout recommendation on an individual brand's website. Do you see it pulling one way or the other? Or do you kind of see them both existing in that space? I see them being very, very interconnected. So I can't really, I can't tell you about what's coming in next week, but we have something that is our first foray into connecting the two experiences for consumers. And I see one feeding very nicely into the other and there being a full loop, a full complete loop of someone checking out on one brand, going to the collective, seeing a bunch of, or browsing through co-op our widget on their page going to the collective, seeing all of our brands across all of our categories, finding another brand that they might like, completing a checkout and having the same thing happen. So I think there's a complete loop there. And I think there's a lot of interconnectivity between between the two experiences for sure. Nice. Very cool. And one other thing I wanted to hit on as well, you know, we've been talking about 
what the future of brand partnerships and this space looks like. Let's let's take it back to the present right now. You know where where brands are looking to partner and collaborate and things like that. I know one thing that we had touched on was the authenticity piece, right? You want to be able to work with brands that are authentic and will fit in with your brand that you're building. What do you think people that aren't as familiar with brand partnerships, maybe they're getting into their first brand partnership, or maybe they've had some bad brand partnerships and are looking to have some better brand partnerships. What are some of the things... So if you had to like rapid fire and name off like three things that brands should be looking for when partnering with other brands, what would those be? The first one would be customer profile, which I already hit on a lot. But customer profile, and I don't mean... AOV specifically, I mean the psychographic profile of your customer. The second would mean values. Values matter a lot and people sniff through that. Sustainability. If you're a sustainable brand, partner with sustainable brands. If you are a clean beauty brand, partner with other clean brands that actually speak to your mission. And then the third is size and scale. Like if one brand is enormous and one brand's really small, it's hard for there to be commensurate value between the two. One will be taking the other one for a ride. So it'd be the third thing I would look at. Nice. Well, those are some great tips for the for the audience listening in over there. And so, you know, as we're kind of coming to the end of this podcast over here, you know, we've talked about, you know, what the current state looks like for brand partnerships and maybe what the future looks like. How far do you think we are away from seeing something that's that's really different than than where we are right now in terms of brand partnerships and and most of it, right? So the majority of it right now is focused on top of the funnel kind of actions, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which is lead generation and those kinds of things. Now we're moving a little bit more over to purchase. Where where do you see that kind of shift happening where most brands are looking towards the purchase metric as the partnership and where they're able to actually drive those? So are we like two years out from that? Are we three years out from that? I would love to hear your thoughts there. Co-op commerce is steadfast focused on this problem. We have several product announcements that are going to be launched in Q1, many of which hit directly on this. So where we get to mass adoption and, and full ubiquity of something like this is where the verdict is out. But the tech will exist in Q1 of next year. And we anticipate to be at over 1,500 brands by next summer. So with those two metrics alone, I would say you'll start to see a lot more frequently than you do now. And we're really excited, really excited about, about like what that will unlock for brands and how much more sustainable of an acquisition channel it can be. For sure. And one other thing I, I wanted to ask you as well while, while I'm thinking about that is what do you think that that North Star metric for for brands that are looking to partner is? Like, is it the the speed of access that they want to deliver to the consumer? Is it the better product recommendation? Like where do you see that kind of playing in as well? Is it maybe something else that we haven't talked about? Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing that we haven't talked about is just that if you think about brand partnerships and influencers, they're actually not that different, right? Like an influencer is someone you trust to give you product recommendations. A brand that you've bought from, is a brand that you trust to give you other brand recommendations, right? So there's a brand that you really love and they're recommending another brand. They're as much of an influencer in that situation as an influencer is. So I think that 
we definitely say this to brands all the time and believe this strongly that making another recommendation for another product is additive to the consumer experience, not negative. It's not meant to feel like an ad. It's meant to feel like a genuine recommendation for something else that the customer needs. And you're helping the customer cut through the noise. Like when you go onto Amazon and you type in a single keyword, you get 9 million results. It's very, very hard to sort through all of that. So that is the challenge of today. That is the challenge of finding the next thing that you'll love. And I think brands, the brand, the first brand that's captured that conversion plays a really critical role in helping that consumer throughout their purchase journey and finding new things that they might love. Awesome. Well, that is very interesting. And, you know, I, as a consumer, I'm very excited to see how all of this stuff ends up playing out. But Connor, it's been great having you on the podcast over here to talk about brand partnerships, brand collaborations. As we wrap things up over here, the the two things I'm going to ask you are, you know, I know you've hit on a little bit of this as well, but what's next for co-op and where can people connect with co-op, maybe even connect with you? Would love for you to share that information. Yeah, for sure. So what's next for co-op? We have the co-op collective, which just launched, which as I mentioned, is featuring all of our amazing brands. We have over 200 retailers now working with us and we will have many, many more that are joining that'll help consumers like cut through the noise and find amazing places for them to stay shopping independent. And in Q1, we're launching a bunch of stuff related to what we talked about on this podcast. So I can't give you exact specifics, but You'll see a lot more frictionless type of checkout experiences, a lot more partnership across the full funnel. And that's coming very, very soon. And we're seeing amazing metrics in in our early testing and early results. Any brands that are listening, any merchants that are listening, you can apply to join co-op at coopcommerce.com. We just launched a brand new website. There's a lot of really great information on there about the other brands that we're working with, as well as the, the experience. And you can apply directly on there as well as set up time with with myself or anyone else on the team directly through there. So really excited for what's to come and really excited to partner with any and every one of you that's listening. Awesome. Well, Connor, once again, great having you on the podcast over here. I, I definitely learned a lot, as I always do, talking to people in the D2C space that are around all that kind of stuff. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And thank you for everyone that's listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the DTC pod. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. And we will all be patiently anticipating to see what co-op commerce comes out with at the beginning of 2021. Thanks so much, Jay. I appreciate it.